Hi, I'm Dave, and you're listening to Making Problems to Solve, the podcast about curiosity, creativity, and problem solving. Today, I'm talking to Katie Freeman, the maker and artist who's interested in exploring new mediums and techniques while having fun and teaching. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you, Dave? Oh, I'm good. Thanks. Yeah, I just stole a little bit of your uh, <laughs> bio from your Instagram, but I think it's a Perfect. good... Uh, I mean, it sounded good, so like you know, means I'm on the right track with it. Sure, and I think that's pretty much uh, everybody I like to talk to is interested in learning and uh, sharing what they learn. So, uh, okay. perfect, cool. So, I usually like to get uh, started and try to find out, um, you know, where you kind of you know discovered you were a creative person. Did you have um, mm-hmm. a creative childhood? Did you have any creative parents or? people in your life back when you were growing up? Yeah, um, I was definitely, I would say, into kind of the 3D world already as a kid. Like, Legos were my favorite thing um, to build with and kind of design with. And as hard as my mom really tried to get me to love like Barbies and baby dolls, that just like was not going to happen. So usually I even, you know, I tossed aside the doll, but kept the box to make something uh, out (laughs) of it. So I kind of, that was, and and my mom was pretty, I would call her crafty. Um, You know, she like, made Halloween costumes and growing up we didn't have a lot of money so she made a lot of my Christmas presents and birthday presents um so yeah I would say highly influenced and I grew up around things that people in my family had made like I still have furniture pieces that my great-great-grandfather made um and so I think that really did kind of set me up for where I am going now in life. Okay. That's interesting. Did you ever get to see anyone making any furniture or anything while you're growing up? I did not. um, I mean, the majority of my childhood, my mom was a single parent and I was an only child. And so again, kind of just, Growing up poor, too, it was like we lived in apartments. There wasn't anybody really doing that stuff. But once I got to my my teen years, not anyone making furniture, but like home remodeling. Um, one of my uncles was really into that. And so like even just being around and helping like put drywall up and do drywall tape and stuff like that, like that was all, you know. Not furniture, but definitely still in the realm of working with your hands and understanding that we can do a lot of things without having to like hire it out type thing. Right. Yeah. So you're able to like, yeah, get just some experience with mm-hmm. tools and like being able to do something yourself. Yeah. And actually understand, yeah. you know, start to learn how things work and <laughs> are put together. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay. Did you have any, this is always uh, a variable question, but did you have any kind of shop class or anything in school? Yeah. Um, for the most part, I, and I think it still is in 
like I live in Iowa and I grew up in Iowa. Um, I think for the most part, most schools, most junior highs still have some type of like, you know, introduction to shop type mm-hmm. thing. So I definitely had that. I had an, an industrial tech class for like a semester in junior high, um, you know, and there was all kind of modules that we had to do, but I do remember like we made um, like the carbon cartridge race cars. Um, okay. And so, yeah, that was my first time actually using like real power tools, like, you know, like a bandsaw and that kind of thing. Um, we were only cutting down like balsa wood, but still it was um, like, I really enjoyed it. So much so that I like made three of them. Like the assignment was to make one, but mm-hmm. you know, I I made three of them. Um, I still have them to this day. Uh, so yeah, that was that was my first introduction to like actual tools, and I definitely loved that more than the home ec class that they made me take. And <laughs> so it's like that. Right. But those are all still good skills to have. And just even yeah. if, you know, that you can use to solve a problem, you know, you need to have all of yeah. them. <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah, obviously some people, you know, enjoy one more than the other, but it's always good yeah. to, um, to have a, a little bit of everything, but that's interesting. And then after, after school, so you didn't really turn that into any kind of, I guess, like, when did you, decide to do more woodworking and you know kind of explore that aspect of your yeah so like when i for my undergrad uh my degree was manufacturing technology and we did a lot of like hands-on stuff just so we could understand like the intent was to take that degree and they really pushed like you could be an industrial engineer or maybe even a mechanical engineer um but in order to do that, like you have to understand the process of how things are made so that, you know, even if you're not the one making it, you can still speak the language with the people who are making it. Um, so where I went to undergrad was the University of Northern Iowa, and they had, they still do have a huge shop space that covers everything from they have a found a full functioning foundry for casting all the way, you know, uh, metal tools to wood tools. And it included like CNC's, not just like lathes and table saws. So right. I got kind of to play with a little bit of all of it and I will date myself. But when I went to undergrad in the early two thousands, like we were only being charged $15 a semester to have access, full access to uh, the shop space. So I made a couple of pieces of furniture, but none of them were, none of them were good. Um, I had no idea what I was doing, but I did make a few for like Christmas presents and stuff and relied heavily on the knowledge of the person who managed, you know, the shop space. Um, Mm -hmm to to learn things um and then after that though there was like a big hiatus because i didn't have those tools like most people when they graduate college they don't have those tools so it's harder 
to to continue. So I didn't start back up like really woodworking until about 10, 11 years ago. Now, um, my wife and I, we were living in Southern California. We didn't really have like a social group because we had just kind of moved there. And so and we didn't have kids at the time. So, you know, I needed something to fill my time and I really wanted to get back into woodworking. And I tried again on my own and I made a few pieces that again were kind of crappy uh, um, <laughs> and have fallen apart since then. Uh, but uh, in Southern California, woodworking is really big. So I there was a community college that had a program and I went and took some classes there. And that's when it's like I took it serious, right? And learned things like wood movement and how to plan like grain layout and like simple things or what should be simple, how to attach legs to a tabletop, like all of that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, because this was also pre like the University of YouTube. Like that wasn't as big of a thing um, when I decided to start taking those classes. So that's when I took it seriously and kind of, you know, started buying tools off of like Craigslist and Facebook marketplace and stuff like that to start being able to do some of that at home. Okay. I'm curious what made you interested in going to college for manufacturing technology? Where did that come from? Yeah. So when I went to college, I actually, so in high school, I didn't take any shop, but I was in electrical classes all through high school. So like doing circuit boards and, you know, learning to solder and all that fun stuff and made a few projects there. And <clears throat> I've always been a good student. <laughs> so like I took it serious and did my work. And unfortunately, I would say a lot of people who took that class took it to just slack off and not do a lot of work. Um, so my teacher was really impressed with me and he encouraged me. He really wanted me to go to school to be an industrial tech teacher because, you know, so many of them were retiring or have retired and he really right. pushed that hard. Um, and so to, when I went to school at UNI, I got a full ride scholarship, full tuition scholarship um, that I had competed for and it was solely for any major within the industrial tech department. So I started out as an industrial tech teaching major. Um, I went through one semester of an elementary ed class and said, nope, not for me. Uh, teaching is not where I want to be, which is kind of funny because now <laughs> I do that. But um, sure. uh, so I switched to something, you know, I had a talk with, uh, there was only one female professor in the whole department. And so I kind of talked with her and just, she kind of became a mentor of like what I could do staying within the department that would lead to having a lot of different options in the job field. So that's what led me to manufacturing tech and I'm glad I did because I really loved all the hands-on stuff, like learning how to operate a CNC, like was super fun, all that kind of stuff. And the CAD programs, learning how to do 
uh, model and CAD, all of that was, I enjoyed all of it. Yeah, that's a really interesting program because I don't know that I've, I mean, again, I haven't researched every college, of course, but um, <laughs> that I've heard of a, a program like that where they're teaching you how the technology works, you know, in anticipation of you becoming, you know, like an industrial engineer or something, because yeah. a lot of engineering programs are the opposite of hands-on, right? Where it's a lot of theory yeah. and a lot, I mean, again, there's every type of person who's an engineer. So there's a lot of engineers who do have a lot of hands-on experience and understand that technology, but there are people who are more yeah. on the theory side. So that's, it does sound like a really interesting program. I would have loved to had the opportunity for that type of program. So, and maybe it was out there and I just didn't know it. So that's, you're really yeah, lucky I don't to think, have had the teacher. Honestly, <laughs> yeah, honestly, I don't think I've learned about any other university that has a similar program. I mean, to your point, like, <laughs> Especially if the aim is to go kind of into engineering, um, yeah, it's a, it tends to be a lot more math based, a lot more theory based, and uh, not a lot of practice. Which, I mean, I've spent eighteen years in a career of engineering, and being able to visit manufacturers and understand what they were telling me because I knew the language of the people out on the production floor. Like, right. It was a godsend. I mean, especially, especially walking in there as a woman, generally you're thought that you don't know what you're going to be talking about anyway. So being able to have just like in my back pocket, the, the language gained me a lot of like instant respect um, and made my job so much easier uh, than it would have been if I didn't have any understanding of what they were talking about. Right. And I understand that completely. What I do with my, uh, one of my day jobs is uh, a lot of safety stuff. So we're, you know, coming with our clipboards and stuff, but, um, you know, being able to, you know, understand, you know, how processes work and how, you know, how machines actually operate and how people do their jobs does really help a lot to be able to communicate Mm -hmm. and, you know, get people to understand like where you're coming from. And so, Mm -hmm. yeah, definitely. That's, that is, if you're doing safety, if you're doing safety stuff, then you were, you and me were considered generally the enemy. I was quality engineer and usually right. nobody wanted to talk to the quality engineer. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it was, it was nice to be able to just, even just on a more personable level, relate to what they were doing. Right. And to be able to explain, cause a lot of times, you know, I'm not telling you how to do your job. I want to understand right. how you do your job and I want to learn from you. Um, you know, yep. and I can see that same thing, with the quality control, of course. Yep. Um, but again, just having that experience and again, being able to have that experience in college of being able to work with different machines and stuff, and especially a, mm-hmm. such a wide variety of different equipment. Um, yeah. You know, it sets you up to become uh, a maker <laughs> in the future. Yep. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Right. And I know that one of the things that you started doing, I think when you, or getting tools for yourself was power carving, right? And yes. you kind of discovered yeah. that um, pretty early, I think, in your mm-hmm. woodworking career. Yep. Yeah, that came from, so, uh, like, we were, you know, be, when we were in Southern California, we did end up starting a family there. And um, and then and I was still working through the community college with woodworking, and my 
my mom suffered a stroke. So we moved back to Iowa to be closer to family. And it's kind of like all in one fell swoop. I lost all access to like the nice big tools, like, you know, a nice cabinet table saw and Mm -hmm. a 16 inch wide jointer. God, what I would give to have that again. And, (laughs) you know, a big uh, 24 inch planer and all those things, the like more industrial tools that you get. And I had stuff, but I didn't have a lot of stuff. And so it really was like, you know, at once we moved back, I kind of took a little bit of a break because of that. And we had our second kid, kiddo. And so I had like a three-year-old and a one-year-old. And I was like, I really need to get back into woodworking so I can do something that's just for me and not mm-hmm. for anybody else. Right. And, but I was like, but I don't have all the tools. And so it's like, what can I do? Like, what can I do with what I have? Um, and I stumbled across Mike Montgomery's video, YouTube video of him carving the egg table, um, which he was inspired by, um, Caleb, I think it's Wood, Woodward. Yeah. Caleb Woodward. Uh, he does carved tables though. He carves them all by hand, uh, with hand tools. Um, Oh, wow. Yeah. So I kind of fell down like I had never heard of power carving before seeing that Mike Montgomery video so I fell down the rabbit hole I was like I have an angle grinder all I have to do is buy like one attachment and I can get started um and so that kind of is what started it is I I did some very simple designs at first and then I just I don't know I got hooked there's something about you know especially being able to create freehand like that, um, not having to make everything round. Cause that was another possible option is like, well, maybe I should get a lathe. Um, if I really like round organic shapes. Um, but I was like, I don't want everything to be perfectly round. I want to be able to make asymmetric things. So, uh, you know, power carving really, really scratched that itch for me. And it still does. I'm a little bit sad that I haven't been able to do it as much this year because of school. But it, I think it will always be something that I do because there's just so much you can do with it and kind of let your mind just go. Yeah, I haven't really tried it myself yet, but I do. I've seen a lot of the work you've done with just exploring all these different textures and, mm-hmm. you know, again, like the organic shapes, you can do so much with it that you can't do really any other way again hand carving would be the other way to do it yeah Um, (laughs) yeah but so much work so a lot of us are only part-time makers so any tool that can make things faster and again the one thing that you can do with power carving is you can mess up a lot faster too though right you most (laughs) certainly can um you know it is it is just as true with every other form of woodworking you can take wood away but you cannot uh put it back back. (laughs) Um, however, the benefit I find in at least keeping it pretty organic is nobody else knows that I made that mistake, but right. me. it's not really a mistake. Like, you were just, it's yeah, just a different yeah. direct, takes you in a different direction. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, uh, you're, re- yeah, you're, so you're exploring 
organic shapes. Yeah. You're not, you're not, you, you know, it doesn't have to be exactly one thing, right? You're not trying to recreate something exactly, you know, right. How exactly. often does, um, do you make plans or kind of do sketches of what you're thinking you're going to make when you do a carving? Um, it depends on what it is. I, I will say definitely before starting grad school, not so much. You know, I would have an idea. I would do some sketches more so around like where to plan out where I wanted to do texture and how I wanted mm -hmm. to kind of do that. Um, but it wasn't super. I didn't put tons of thought in it. I'll put it that way. I It was like a few sketches and then I'd be like, OK, let's go. Um, that process has changed quite a bit for me now being in grad school. I don't know if I'll ever for power carving projects, get to the point where I make like scale models before jumping into the full scale. But I do feel like I will take more time in doing at least sketch iterations of like, okay, what if I, you know, wanted to put a line here versus there type of thing. Um, okay. And I did do that. I had a, a commission that I got done very quickly during the winter break um, for a client and they had some very specific requests. So like for that one, like, you know, I sketched it up and I sent it to them and it allowed just to have a back and forth talk. Um, did it end up exactly as how I sketched it? No. Um, I don't, I think that's pretty hard to do unless you directly transfer lines onto the piece. And even when you do that, like you don't know always what the grain's doing below the surface. So if you, when you're power carving, you know, you might, there might be a whole, a knot hole buried in there or some rot or whatever. You just don't know until you're getting into it. So you do have to be flexible and knowing that like it could change. It's probably not going to be exactly what you planned out just because there's so much unexpected within a piece of wood. That makes sense. Cause you know, yeah, you're our carving wood and part of the reason why you're carving wood and not making it out of a different material is because of the grain. So you do have to yeah. take that into account and, you know, work with it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And yeah. I tend to, I tend to pick up logs that like intentionally that have had some rot or who that have, you know, had some bug issues. Um, because I like highlighting those areas, the nat the natural areas that just come from, you know, a, a natural process within nature. So, um, I am I. It's a little bit like treasure hunting. Um, Interesting. You know, it's a little bit like, what am I going to find when I get in here, and how is that going to then change the direction, or you know. Sometimes I can find things and be like, oh, now I'm going to circle this whole piece just around this. Um, like very early on, I made a resin light out of a, a piece that was firewood um, that had been riddled with ants. And, you know, once I got rid of all the ants and started cleaning it up, like it became more and more dominant that like I need to make this into something that's going to highlight this, these shapes that were created by all these ants. Um, 
And so that's why I did like a resin light, just so it's like, it's, I didn't put a ton of work into it. The ants put all the work in. Ants did all the work. So, yeah. <laughs> that's it. It's collaboration. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, and you kind of, and again, like when you're working with the material like that and you're carving a log, you, you know, you can't, I mean, you could, if you find a, you know, imperfection or some, you know, a knot where you didn't expect mm -hmm. one, you could start over, you could get another piece. Um, yep. But, you know, and that's, that's one way to do it. But I guess like just, you know, working with that, you know, the challenges mm -hmm. of the wood, you know, another way. Yep. Yep. And finding out just the different, like, depending on the type of wood, like hardness factors, all those things, like, you know, it takes a lot of time to learn that through power carving because you really, you can do a lot, all the reading you want, but you don't really know until you're like, your hands are on the tool and you're like, I've been in this one spot for like five hours and it's taking, you know, I can't <laughs> yes. seem to get past it. So uh, yeah, you don't learn that until you're working with it. Right. Yeah. So you have to learn like how to, you know, combine like, you know, whatever you're doing and, you know, mm -hmm. how you're using the tool with what the wood needs you to do <laughs> to get there. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Really interesting. How did you find, um, you know, your confidence to ha be that flexible uh, with power carving? Was that uh, come natural to you or was that difficult to, you know, embrace that, you know, the challenges and the imperfections? Yeah, I would say like the first sculpted table I did really kind of taught me all of those lessons because that. That was one where I went in, I I didn't sketch it out, but I definitely went in with a vision of what I wanted it to be. And it's like at every, every turn of that project, like there was a roadblock or, you know, there something came up where it's like, it's not going to do what I want it to do. Whether it was maybe I just didn't have the right tools at the time, you know, I didn't have a lot of. I didn't have the plethora of options I have now for power carving then. Um, and honestly, that did kind of let help me let go of like the perfectionist side of myself when it comes to making um, because I had no choice. Like it wasn't, I could not bend the wood to my will. Like it was like, no, you have to go with the flow. Um, and so I got pretty comfortable with the idea of going with the flow. I will say it took me some time, quite a bit of time, to be able to look at a piece of wood and go, oh, that's going to be that. You know, of like, that should be a table, that should be a bowl, that should be a light. Like being able to just look at it and, and see an object within it, that took quite a bit of time. And I think that only comes with practice and and I literally just took like 10 different chunks of wood that I had found and took my grinder to them and just started playing with shapes and forms until like I felt more comfortable and confident and being like okay this this type of wood or this shape of wood is good for this that makes sense. And of course, if you didn't become comfortable with the, you know, the unexpected 
nature of power carving, you probably would have picked something else, right? You would have just went and got a yeah. table saw and a joiner and, and started making exactly. some like, rectangles. Exactly. <laughs> These are predictable. Yes. Though that is just as frustrating. When I switch back to more traditional means of woodworking, I find myself frustrated lots of times you know making sure to get square corners and all of that that fun stuff um yeah that's a whole whole other uh set of skills i would say like um like i'm on the opposite spectrum of how i work than like brad um he's like you know and i do not know why i'm blanking on his his username I'm not sure which Brad. <laughs> um, Mr. Instagram Brad. Is it? Um, uh, is it fix this, build that? Yes. Is that him? That Brad. Brad. Yes. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah. Um, like he's like very analytical, right? And he's just like he approaches problems in a very analytical way of thinking, and I do have that in me, but I tend to be more like. No, just free form and I might think of something totally crazy to solve a problem versus, you know, yeah. maybe the more obvious and straightforward way. I probably I probably make more work than I need to for myself, but yeah. Yeah. Well that's what the show's about. <laughs> Is that the ways we challenge ourselves creatively, you know, to yeah. to figure things out. <laughs> I know you were talking to uh, Tamara on uh, Tinkering Bells about that, about just how being a maker like gives you confidence, you know, to figure things out. Like the more, yep. I guess, the more things you try, the more things you know you make, the mistakes you make, and the lessons yep. you learn. It just gives you this, yeah, you know, this confidence, you know, to just go out there and try new things. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I would say I, I've always been a person though who's not also who's not afraid of change. Like I kind of embrace change. And so I think having that mentality helps a person be open to trying more things. Um, and it's something I think, I don't know, like I'm not afraid to fail at it because I just expect it. Like I'm not going to get it right the first time. Um, you know, it's just, it's, it's impossible to get it exactly right the first time. Not to say I don't get, frustrated with that and not to say I'm also a horrible planner and the first time I'm trying something is generally on a project that I'm getting paid for however <laughs> um you know I still I guess I have confidence that okay something is going to go wrong but I can figure it out and if I can't figure it out especially now being connected with the maker community I'm like I know somebody who will be able to help me fix this sure yeah, and I know you talked about that, you know, again, you weren't on YouTube when you first started learning all this stuff, but you did, um, you did find power carving through that. Do you kind of remember yeah. like what led you into finding these online makers? Um, I think, I do think Mike Montgomery was the first online maker I found and through him, then I fell down the rabbit hole of, you know, Ben Ueda, which that rabbit hole, I still stay down. Um, I, that Ben's probably one of the ones I follow the most. Um, 
just because I like how his brain works. So, uh, yeah, I think, I mean, honestly, it's probably, I don't know if it's anything that too many people can relate to, but it just happened to line up with, you know, again, I had very little one, you know, I'm up at 3 a.m. like breastfeeding. What the hell else am I going to do? But scroll through my phone and I'm one of those people that doesn't want to just like scroll. I want to feel like it's a productive thing. So like I kind of fell down that hole because I was like, okay, I can watch people make these things and get inspired on what I might want to do and um and just learn. Like I know I remember feeling just kind of awestruck that like, wait, people are making things and then putting how they make things online available for like everybody to watch. Think, you know, it was a little bit like, whoa, that's pretty crazy. Um, so yeah, I would say it was like Mike and Ben and then Chris, because I started listening to their podcast, um, which then led me to like all the other makers. You know, and then yeah, Anne of All Trades was another big one that I watched a lot of her like earlier videos, especially. Right. Okay. And then, so you, you know, you discovered, once you discover one YouTube maker and their podcast yep. or whatever, then you're, you're hooked, right? You're not, yep. <laughs> you just keep going deeper down the rabbit hole. Um, yeah. when did, what kind of made you decide to share what you're doing online? Um, like, so Freeman Furnishing started as like an official, like LLC business, um, in January, January 1 of 2017. And so right away, like I understood that, okay, great for me to make things, but if I don't put my stuff out there on the internet, like nobody's going to know I exist. Um, so I, that's when I opened an Instagram. I did not have an Instagram before that. I like only had Facebook and it was only personal, you know, but I have like younger sisters who are like, no, you have to get on Instagram. That's where everything is now. Um, so I opened it and at first it was very much a, just like posting a picture of what I made and just like pushing out my stuff. It wasn't really until like I went to a very small, like, workshop in new orleans and met in person other people making things and putting stuff on instagram that i understood the power of turning it more into community and like another source to learn from each other and so i on there like my first real maker friend on there was um brandy obey of studio obey um okay yeah, Brandy's awesome. So, like, you know, we started talking and sharing stuff, and then I started following on Instagram all the YouTube makers I had found um, and went to my first, like, workbench con, and then that really told me, like, all right, there's, like, a, like, don't just share what I made to try to sell it, but I had a real interest in, like, sharing bits of the process. Um, sometimes I wonder if that 
bit me in the butt in the long run or not. I don't know. Um, cause I still struggle with actually like selling work or getting attention on what I actually make via Instagram as I turned it so much into the process. But, um, you know, that's a whole, that's a whole other thing. So, that's a whole I'm other, the, like, I'm not the expert on that for sure. Thing. Yeah. <laughs> that's a different podcast. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right, that's pretty cool. So, and it, you're really lucky that Brandy was, you know, one of your first uh, yeah. real life maker friends. She's great. You know, I talked to her a few weeks ago. She's really fun. And, uh, you know, I, I think I, I just got to meet her for a second at a maker camp, but she was, you know, mm -hmm. teaching everybody welding. So, mm -hmm. she's very popular. Yeah, I there. saw her. I saw her work. You know, I can't, she was supposed to go to that same workshop I went to. Um, and, and she ended up not, but, but the person who ran the workshop kind of shared with everybody, like everybody who had shown interest in it. Um, and so like, I just saw her work, um, on Instagram and just fell okay. in love with her work that she was doing. And so, um, I still say one of these days there will be a Katie and Brandy collaboration on something. Um, that'd be very cool. She does the does the welding work and I do the woodwork and, you know, we can come together on it type thing. Yes, that would definitely be really fun. Um, so that, that actually gives me an idea. Uh, I do usually like to ask people besides, you know, actually physically making things and, you know, do you have any like other creative things that you are interested in? And now it's like, like, you know, music, uh, and then one thing I, I wrote down dance and I'm like, Oh, you definitely, I don't know if you're, you know, have ever explored dance as like a, you know, uh, educational pursuit or professional thing, but I know you do love dancing a lot. <laughs> you definitely share that. Yeah, I would say I hope to God, nobody actually looks to me to learn how to dance. Um, <laughs> cause definitely now I've got mom, mom dance moves, but, um, Hey, I tend to go into other forms of making or like a creative outlet. So like I do like to mess with leather, but that's not something I share a lot about. Um, Cause that's one that I kind of want to just keep for myself. Um, at least for now. And, you know, honestly, I think maybe after my kids are out of the house, there could be more exploring of stuff, but sure. Definitely right now, and we're in the swing of it where they're starting to get into so many things that uh, I'm busy just, you know, taking them from place to place. But we did just start magnet fishing as a family, and that's been fun. Um, oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of feeds into my treasure hunting uh, itch that I get from time to time. Uh, you know, I like to do beach combing and that kind of stuff, too. but. I don't know if I would okay. consider any of that creative or just crazy. No, well, it's exploring everything around you, right? I think that that's an important part of art is, is to just look for things and pay attention. So I think mm -hmm. that that's one thing you're doing. Have you ever found anything uh, super cool in magnet fishing that you would incorporate into some of your work? I am actually thinking about that. Um, it's, I mean, it is, it's like, really super new but we've been hanging on to everything that we found it's smaller pieces now 
but it's something I want to maybe incorporate my kids into, like, let's put something together. Um, and it might, it might just be like a wall art piece to start with. Um, but I do want to do that, uh, cause something I'm super interested in and starting to dive into is, you know, the whole sustainability model and really paying attention to how and where everything is sourced from. And like, I've always had that, like all the wood that I carve is all urban lumber. It's all local. It's all stuff that, like I said, was like diseased or already dead. And, or, you know, like we had the, we have the emerald ash borer here. Like it's all wood that had to come down. Um, And so that's something that's like really important to me. So I do think I want to explore that. It could be really fun to try to just be like, okay, what did I pull out? What did we pull out today? And what can we make from it? Cool. And I'm I'm not sure how old your kids are, how much have they been able to, um, you know, get into the workshop at all? Is that something you're looking forward to? Yeah, my my oldest will be 10 in June um, and my youngest is seven. And my oldest is kind of like, whatever, mom, I have no use for this. He's <laughs> he's all into like video games. Um, though I have a few projects this summer where I'm kind of building out his like video room, his video game room um, okay. with some custom furniture. But my youngest, uh, she definitely shows interest. She definitely really likes to make things and, and craft things. And there's been well more than one occasion where, you know, I have a box of scraps that's basically just for her. So she can come out and work and make while I'm making um, and ask questions. And right now, at least she says she wants to be a woodworker. I don't know if that will stick (laughs) or not, but uh, I'll take it for now. Of course. And I just think just even seeing someone doing it, right. Cause you, like you said, you didn't actually, yeah. you know, until you, you know, you were doing like home remodeling, but that was really the only right. person, you know, kind of thing you saw people yeah. working with tools. So just knowing the stuff's out there, I think is really important in that people, you know, cause again, if you, when I took shop class in school and again, we had tools we, and, yeah. we and it's, it's middle school, right? Every middle school is totally different. Some of them have table saws and yeah. planers and stuff. Some of them don't just have, very few tools. The only tool I remember from middle school is a bandsaw, you know, mm-hmm. and again, but this is like a giant industrial bandsaw that right, they're right. You know, letting seventh graders use. But, um, and that was my favorite thing. But again, I never thought like, Oh, I would get one of these things or that's something you right. go, you can have in your house. So, right. <laughs> so just knowing again, that like people have tools in their garage is, is yeah. the start yeah. of everything. Yeah. I, f- I foresee my oldest getting more into it. Once I have my, I I got it right before the start of school, so it's been a very slow roll, but I've got an avid CNC, you know, uh, six foot by six foot bed. So I plan on lots of projects on there and really my, my oldest, he, he's shown interest in the idea of like, okay, I could design something on the computer and then we can have the machine cut it out type thing. So I think there's definitely probably going to be more peaked interest once 
they start seeing that in, in action. They've seen me bring stuff home from school this year that I've cut on the CNC at school. Um, but being able to actually see it, you know, in person, I think yeah. will drive more interest. Cool. That's pretty exciting. And the one thing that um, I'm curious about is that you um, teaching, and I know you talked about this with uh, Tamara a little bit, you have some, I think yeah. they're online courses that you set up. Yep. Yep. I have a couple of them like an intro to power carving where it's more just around like, what are the tools, you know, to get started. And like, especially if you want to just try it out and see like that to me is a really good one to take. I think I have it for like, I don't know, five bucks or something like that. Um, just so you can be like, Oh, this is a specific project in mind. These are the tools to go by for that type thing. Um, and we talk a lot about, finishing because uh, that's also a big key part it's one thing to carve it but then how do you sand this very irregular surface um right. sanding is very important in power carving um so we talk a lot about that and then i have one that's a little bit more advanced i would say where i also do like a demo of power carving a spoon so you can see everything in action and how i kind of like work my way through it so yeah, those are the two um, online courses I have, but I have, I really want to get into, and I hope I'm going to be pitching a, a in-person power carving class to a few um, craft schools and we'll see, you know, where that goes, but that's, I would like to do some teaching in person of those things. All right. Yeah. We look forward to, you know, seeing where you go with that. I'm always curious, um, you know, what people, cause I think that that's ends up being a big part, whether it's like a formal thing where you're teaching a class or just, you know, again, sharing like what you've yeah. learned with other people, either through DMS or in your Instagram stories mm -hmm. or making a YouTube video. Yep. Just it's, it seems to be like instincts that people want to, you know, share what they've learned with other people. Yes. They're, you know, yep. they're curious, they learn something new and they want to, yeah, they want mm -hmm. everybody else to know about it. Yes. Exactly. That's great. All right. Um, and one of the things I'm also wanted to just, you know, find out about is you're going to back to school now for uh, 3d design. Yes. Or in, MFA, which is Master of Fine Arts in 3D Design, um, which is what they call a terminal degree, which means I would be able to teach at university level um, oh. anywhere in the country. So I don't know how much I will go down the teaching path. Um, I think at least a little bit. I can see myself kind of, you know, getting more into that. But uh, I really was interested in the program. That, I mean, it's local to me. It's the U University of Iowa. But um, they have a really great program. And they get to travel to, like, Milan and New York and stuff for, um, you know, exhibiting their, their furniture designs, their pieces. So that's really what kind of drew me to it because that's something that I really want to do. Um, I want to be like a professional designer. So um, 
yeah, it's been it's been a journey getting started in that and flexing different muscles because uh, this program definitely does not spend a ton of time on technique. Uh, it spends much more Makes time sense. on the design, you know, and so it's like, okay, you get to a design, you know what material you have to use. Now you get to figure out how to make it. Um, and I would say I have probably an advantage there um, with my years of making, even if it's something that's not going to be made out of wood, like we kind of already talked about, just like have the confidence to be like, okay, let's go learn it. Like, let's go, you know, uh, talk to the right, talk to the experts or find the right YouTubes or whatever to figure out how to do this. Um, so that's been an advantage that, you know, most of my cohort is much younger than me. Um, it doesn't have as much life experience um, as I do, but um, yeah, it's been, it's been interesting. We'll see where it ends up taking me, I guess. Right. And experience in fabrication. Do you, I mean, at this level, do people make all their own stuff? Do they enlist help from other people who are actual fabricators? Right. At this level, I mean, it's all about, honestly, it's about money, right? So most grad students don't, can't afford to outsource Sure. Uh, the fabrication. So most of us are making it ourselves. And we do, with every class, we do learn new technology. Like this last semester, a class that I was TAing, it was all, it's flat pack furniture, right? So then it's like, okay, you design it, we're going to cut it on the CNC. So they don't learn how to run the CNC, but they do learn how to like take their file, put it into something like VCarve and and get the tool paths done. Okay. And then, you know, I was the one who would run the CNC then. But like it's still something. It's still a knowledge like they could take that with them. Um and we have like lasers and we have all kinds of cool thermoforming stuff. Like there's all kinds of cool um technology there. But again, the focus is more on the the design of an object versus um, versus how it gets manufactured in the end. I think probably because they're what the faculty w assumes is that once you go past here and you become a designer, you'll probably outsource the making of everything. I'm odd in the sense that. There probably will be things I will eventually outsource, but I will probably manufacture or, or fabricate a lot of it on my own. Um, you know, so I'm I'm a little bit odd as far as the people who typically go through that program in that regard. Sure, and you have an advantage too because you'll have all these contacts. If people need stuff yep. that's fabricated, you can get some side work to yeah. build. I mean, you know, obviously, you'd much prefer to build your own stuff, but. Right. You never know. Yeah. It's, you know, you have all these different options. So that's cool. Yes, exactly. Yeah. 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 I love that because a lot of us and definitely a lot of people I talk to end up being like all mostly self-taught or learn stuff on YouTube and they right. just go and buy tools. But you're like, this is something that I can't, you know, I could just keep trying to figure it out myself. But, right. you know, this, you know, you found something that was a program that's focused. You're going to spend. Yeah. yeah. 
finite amount of time and you're going to learn these specific skills. So it's really good to. Yep. Yeah. I feel like I do feel like I've, cause I've had that battle in my own head of like, did I really have to go to grad school? Probably not. But I feel like I'm condensing what would have taken me maybe 10 years on my own doing it as right. a side hustle into three intense years of like intense study. <laughs> so um, I think in the long run, I mean, none of us are getting any younger. So I have to like use the time I've got the wisest I can. And, and this seemed like the best option at the time. Sure. That's great. Um, I look forward to seeing uh, where you go next. I, you know, have had fun seeing, you know, your experiments that you've uh, made along the way while you're learning, you know, share some of that stuff on your Instagram. So it's pretty cool. So, yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. I definitely and, have missed my community though. Um, you know, because of school, I haven't been as engaged um, on Instagram and with, with the maker community and, I definitely had serious FOMO for this year's workbench con when I didn't get to uh, get to go. It's the first one I've ever missed. So it was a little bit, you know, I was a little sad about it. Oh, yeah. Well, hopefully I think they're going to keep doing it. So, you know, hopefully you know, yeah. once you get everything squared away, you can get back to it. Um, uh, one thing we didn't we didn't get a chance to talk about. Uh, <laughs> we'd have so much fun. Um, did you do um, you've made a podcast, the Crafting Revolution. And I know it probably hasn't been a lot of spare time for that lately, right? It's cool. <laughs> it, it hasn't. Um, the first semester, I did stay pretty consistent, um, you know, with it, at least the first part of the first semester. Uh, this second semester, I was trying to take a different approach. Uh, I am grateful for the people who continue to be patrons and uh, be patient with me. Uh, that's to say, I've continued to record. I have continued to reach out to people, and I have continued to Great. record. Um, and now that like classes are done, you know, I can I have a, a bunch that I can be releasing and continue to do because it's it's definitely a passion project. Um, I'm sure you can understand that this that there's not a ton of money in podcasting. Um, <laughs> Most of the time, it's a it's a net zero if you get enough uh, patrons to cover the cost of, um, you know, editing softwares, all that stuff. Um, right. But but I really do enjoy talking with the people I have on there. Um, so I don't foresee it going away. It's just going to be during these three years a little bumpy. But once that's done, um, I'm sure I'll be back at it at full speed because. Yeah, I don't see it ever going anywhere. It's been um, almost five years now, so I foresee it going for much longer. Excellent. Yeah, I definitely. I always look forward to them, and you know, you know, take your time and you know, make it you know when you can. We definitely appreciate yep. it. Yep. Cool. So, besides uh, crafting a revolution podcast, which we can look forward to some new episodes. In the future yeah, here, coming up, yep. um, where else uh, can people find your work? Um, you can find me on Instagram and TikTok and YouTube, all under uh, Freeman Furnishings. Uh, you can find the podcast on Instagram, uh, Crafting a Revolution. And then I do also have another 
uh, Instagram and I'll have to double check what it's called, um, where I'm just sharing just images of my finished polished design work. Um, I decided that I wanted to kind of go in that direction. And that one is af.designs.art. Um, and that's just on Instagram for right now. I do have a website too, freemanfurnishings.com and katiefreemandesigns.com. So. All right. People want to check your stuff out and see what you're working on. There's a plethora of options there. Cool. Yes. <laughs> All right. And I just want to take a moment to thank the patrons who do help uh, make the show go. Uh, especially our top tier patrons, uh, Matt Serio, uh, Ed Johns, Brian Callahan, and uh, Sean Beckner. Uh, just definitely want to thank everybody who supports the show. If you uh, are interested in supporting the show, you can go to patreon.com slash making problems to solve. You get access to the after show. Uh, we get a little bit of more chat with the guests and you can uh, check out uh, updates on the show on Instagram at making problems to solve. And you can see what I'm up to on Instagram at Dave Bauer art. Uh, thanks a lot for talking to me today, Katie. Yeah. Thanks for having me on Dave.